Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Journey to Grateful podcast, a podcast focused on helping us understand the process of loss and grief with the help of those who are living it. I'm your host, Tim Begonia, and this is show number 48. Through this show, you and I will examine the details we've discovered through our grief journey, share our experiences, the good and the not so good, through the podcast, the blog, and on social media while building a community that desires a more open understanding of what grief is, how it affects us all, and how best to navigate its difficult path. Be sure to join the community, subscribe to the podcast, and find quick links to do both over at journeytograteful.com. If you like what you hear in the show, please share an episode and the podcast with someone you know who could benefit a community that understands the path they are currently on. Now, in today's episode, I've had the pleasure to chat with and get to know an incredible woman who is a breast cancer survivor, Hashimoto's warrior, and a number one Amazon best-selling author, Holly Bertone. Holly spent 25 years rising through the ranks of consulting and federal government service before her failing health shattered her corporate dreams. Since then, Holly has leaned into her path of true purpose and fulfillment as a gratitude coach by helping women view their cancer or autoimmune diagnosis as a gift so they can unwrap their resilience to build fortitude with gratitude. So thank you, my friends, for joining me again today for this particular episode. This one promises to be an enlightening and dynamic chat. Please join me in welcoming Holly to the show. Thank you very much, Holly. I have uh, Holly Bertone on the show with me, and I am so excited to talk with her. We had a moment to talk just briefly, get to know each other before we started uh, recording. And as my listeners know, this is a discussion, this is a chat, and Holly is going to explain to everybody where she comes from, what her background is, and then we're going to kind of just uh, take it from there and start discussing some some pretty important things. So Holly, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Tim, thank you so much. This is such, just such a beautiful message that you have. And thank you for having this podcast to, to, to put this out there. And I know, you know, my father and I personally going through the loss of, of my mother to, you know, have this message to, to be a place of, of hope that, you know, like you said, to work through grief. I always like to start before the diagnosis, because I think it's important that the contrast really creates that clarity. I was 38 years old. I was what I call the quintessential overachiever. I was the chief of staff at one of those three letter federal government agencies. They make TV shows about that's how I have wow. to refer to it. I'm under an NDA. Right, you can just take a wild guess at which one, um, but I had a very high management position. I raced Xterra's. I was a Xterra triathlete. It was the off-road triathlons. I was the only civilian on the Marine Corps mountain bike team. I mean, it was life was what I thought was perfect. And um, I woke up the summer of uh, of 2010. I rolled over. I found a lump and. Hmm. The, the cerebral part of me was like, it's, you're 38 years old. It's nothing. And deep down in that pit in my gut, I knew what it was. 
And so I start, fortunately, my doctors were go, right. They said, it's probably nothing, you know, you, you get the year too young for this. Um, but let's do everything as a precaution. Good. So we did. And, uh, it took about a month and a half of tests later and I received the phone call. It was my 39th birthday. I was on the way home from work and I received the phone call and it was a doctor that was filling in for my doctor. And he said, um, so Holly, I've got some news for you. You have breast cancer, but don't worry. It's the good kind. You're going to need to go uh, find a doctor and uh, figure out a treatment plan. And that was it. That was the conversation. Wow. I'm like, I'm sorry. What? Yeah. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? And again, I knew, I knew going through all those tests, the pit in my stomach, the second I felt the lump, but when you hear that, when you actually hear that diagnosis and then, you know, and he said the good kind, I mean, could you be any more insensitive? And I found out later I was ER, ER, PR positive, HER2 negative. So on the scale of breast cancer, I had a very lazy tumor. I don't think you can, I don't know if you should call that good. Um, You can call it lazy. Like it was good to have a lazy tumor, but yeah, that was, that was the beginning of the, the two days later I was living in sin with my boyfriend. And then two days later he proposed. So my goodness. Yeah. It was wonderful. 48 hours. It was, you have breast cancer and will you marry me? And I went through, yeah. So it took a while to actually figure out the standard of care and my treatment plan, because I was right in the middle. That oncotype was about as 50% as it could be. Mm -hmm. So we had a lot of discussion as to the treatment plan, but, you know, being just 39 years old, I'm like, I want to be as aggressive as possible, right? Like you don't want it to come back. Yes. And, you know, and I think at that moment, you make the best decision that you can with the information Mm -hmm. that you have at the time. And so I went through surgery and then chemo and then radiation. And then we got married 10 days after treatment ended. So I was still very sick and bald on our wedding day. And, And my husband had a young son. Well, he's 19 and off to college, but at the time he was young. And uh, so I survived breast cancer and inherited a family. And what had happened though, was that I was still sick after treatment ended. I never got better. Hmm. And my doctor kept telling me, you know, oh, you've been through a lot, you know, you, it's okay. You're going to need some time to recover. And I'm like, yeah, all these women in support group, they're out walking those 5k pink ribbon. I can't get out of bed. Something's wrong. Yeah. So, um, it took another year and I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is the autoimmune component of hypothyroidism, which is a very slow and sluggish thyroid. And it's, uh, uh, the two big symptoms are weight gain and extreme debilitating fatigue. And I did have a little bit of weight gain, but a lot of the debilitating fatigue. fatigue. Mm -hmm. So this was kind of like, you know, basically two years and just a one, two gut punch to, to my health. 
interestingly enough, it was about a month. So after my breast cancer diagnosis, there was a month of a lot of being in the fields as I think we all go through after that kind of diagnosis. It's normal. You have to. Sure. And I'm one of those people. I like to laugh. You know, I can be inappropriate or, you know, whatever. It's just, it's a coping mechanism. I like that. It is a coping mechanism, but I just like to laugh. Like life can be serious, but you don't have to be, you know, serious all the time with it. You know, it's like, it's cancer. It's not going away whether I laugh or not. Right. It's, it's still, you know, I'm still dealing with this. So, um, you know, so my betrothed and I, we just decided to laugh and I kept saying, you know, oh, you know, most girls get, you know, flowers or earrings on their birthday. You know, my gift was breast cancer, you know, like I would have even, I'd have been okay with a car. I got breast cancer. And I think I just kept saying it over and over and over. And at one point something just switched in my head. I'm like, your gift is breast cancer. And I Mm -hmm. didn't know what that meant at the time, but that was pretty powerful. Right. Your life totally changed in a, in a two-year period. And to come out uh, the other side of it with that type of an attitude, heck, to be in it with that type of an attitude, is that's a gift as well. And, yeah. and that really talks speaks to the kind of person that you are. I, I love the attitude that you have. So was there any struggle with having that new family, having a new husband to get their support or were they completely on board and they were, they were with you hundred percent. They, you know, I could not have asked for better support system. Like Excellent. I just, you know, I, I, when going through treatment and being in support group and hearing so many women who's you know, spouses left them or, you know, I just, I was so blessed to have such a great support system, not just with my new husband and excuse me, new husband and new stepson, but then, you know, also my family as well. And it was cute. So Aiden was in, I think, second grade at the time. And I would go in and help at school. And he always asked me to wear my pink wig. I had this pink wig, just, you know, he got to be silly sometimes. And he just thought that was the coolest thing. And all of his friends, and he was like, he's like, stepmom has cancer and she has to wear a pink wig. You have a pink wig. That's so cool. You know, they don't, great. They don't, they don't understand. And it just, you know, having that levity and then those moments going through treatment when, you know, you, you, you're in so much pain. And I remember being on the couch and he would snuggle up beside me. And we turn on the TV and he's like, stepmom, let's watch SpongeBob because SpongeBob's going to make you feel better. And SpongeBob's going to take the cancer away. Oh, it was so cute. Love that. That is so sweet. Oh my goodness. Uh, One thing that I want to talk about is something that we talked about before we started recording. And I thought you brought it up very well. And it's talking about grief that is other than the complete loss Mm. of a person. When you're going through a diagnosis like this, you suddenly realize that there are many different forms of grief. Talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, you know, it's interesting. I think, I think going through it, I didn't recognize it. But coming out on the other side and, you know, now as a, as a health coach and the women who I coach in, in my program, you know, the one said to me the other day, she goes, 
in all of these years, you're the first person who actually acknowledged the fact that we are going through a grief process with our, you know, after our diagnosis. Yeah. And, you know, and especially being in an, at any age, really, but being 38 and newly engaged. And I'm, you know, I lost my hair. I lost part of my breast. I lost my fertility. I went into menopause. Like, you know, there's, there's a level of grieving, you know, all things that quote unquote are supposed to, you know, make you a sexy fiance. And it really caused me to start looking at things a little differently and, you know, it's, it's not my hair, but it's, you know, my, my brains and my laughter and my smile. And, you know, it may not be my, my breast, but it's my heart and my love and, you know, really starting to put these pieces together in a, in a whole different kind of puzzle. It's like, you've, you've got these puzzle pieces together and, you know, those reversible jackets, You know, like you put it on one side, you put it on the other side. Like if you had a reversible puzzle, right? Like it's the same puzzle, but you flip it upside down and it's got a different kind of photo. You you put the pieces together just a little bit different. Yes. I like that. I like that a lot. But, but, you know, I think also in terms of, and, and I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to kind of going through that grief process. There's so many women who come into my community with health challenges who are still in that grieving process and, you know, looking at it kind of from a dualistic perspective of, you know, you can be, you know, grieving the loss of someone and, or grieving that former life. And you had said something on um, Tim on a previous episode about, and and I'm totally going to misparaphrase it, but it was something about, it's not, grieving for your old life, but it's, it's the basically taking it and making it the hope of a new one. And, and, and yes, probably yeah, yeah. Didn't and paraphrase I, it correctly, but that's I think you concept. did a good job. I think you did a really good job, but it's also um, sometimes for me, and this has been relatively lately, it's also the grieving of the things that never can be or the plans mm-hmm. that you had, especially when you yeah. lose a spouse. So I think how you mentioned it. Perfect. Perfect. So, and, and you know, what's, what's interesting too is, um, and actually I just gave this kind of life lesson to Aiden as he was heading off the door to go to college and be an adult. And I said, I said, it was just the weirdest like advice. He's like, what are you doing? I said, the best lessons in life are going to be the hardest ones. I said, they're going to be the ones where you fail or the ones that you just feel absolutely gutted. Yeah. And I said, and you can either take those moments and, you know, and it's, it's obviously it's okay to be in the fields. We have to be in the fields, but you can take those moments and you can look at it with, you know, the, the, the woe is me and why me, and, you know, really kind of sink to that place. Or you can, you know, when the time is right, look back to that place and say, what can I learn from this experience? How can I rise from this experience? How can, how can I take this and, and make this, you know, my legacy, my message, the, you know, the mess to the message, the test to the testimony, how can I take this and become a better person and help other people become a better person because of this rock bottom? 
very, very well said. Uh, I think that it is huge to truly understand and hopefully at a young age, you are not necessarily defined by what happens to you, but you are defined at how you respond to what happens to you and the type of person that you are and how strong you are and going off of a word that you use of uh, the fortitude that you have that is based in how you react, how you choose to react because we have a choice and yes, it is easy. And there are certainly times, uh, you know, raise my hand to God. There are times when I will have a moment that I just need to be sad and I just need to turn on something that's going to make me tear up. And I just need that, but it makes a huge difference in your life and everybody else around you. And I'm speaking more specifically to my kids, um, how you react to that and what you choose to do with what you are given. And I think both you and I, in some aspect, we have some of these things in common. Look what you've done with what you have gone through and you have created a wonderful website and a business and you have a podcast and it, it, it does make a difference as to what you do with it. I, I think that it made all the difference in the world that your attitude was, I am somebody who needs to laugh and that likes to laugh. And now I'm going to make fun of my cancer diagnosis because I'm either going to laugh or I'm going to cry. So what, what is my choice and which one were, where would I rather live? You're never going to get rid of the crying, but you don't have to live there. I love that. Excellent. Excellent. Can we talk about fortitude? We can definitely talk about fortitude. I, <laughs> I, I'm actually, I saw that segue. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a very good uh, segue. I, I'm actually uh, just taking a quick look at your website, which is pinkfortitude.com. And uh, you have on there something that caught my eye, and it's very simple. And you have the definition for gratitude, and you have the definition for fortitude. And gratitude is the state of being grateful, thankfulness. Makes sense. Quite powerful if you actually stop to listen to those words. Fortitude is, is just as powerful. Courage in pain or adversity. Fortitude. Love it. Let's talk fortitude. So going back to 1971 when my mother was pregnant with me, and don't do the math. Do not do the math. <laughs> Um, so she was actually diagnosed with Addison's disease, which is a very rare adrenal disorder. Now today, the doctor still, it's a mystery. It was actually even on a house episode. Um, but back then, like they, you know, in 71, like they don't have internet, you know, there's, they, they were at a complete loss. They said that I wouldn't be carried a term. They said that she was probably not going to live to the age of 30, all the things. Wow. And, you know, she proved them wrong over and over again, Amen. but, but going through her life and all these series of just health struggles for, um, you know, she was what 25 when she was pregnant with me all the way up to 73, when she passed was she kept saying it builds fortitude. So as a child, every single day of my life, that's all that I heard was it builds fortitude. And I always thought that she meant just going through the struggles of life, like the struggles of life or, you know, that's, that's what yeah. builds fortitude. 
And when I went through my own health challenges, I started saying the same thing. I adopted, it builds fortitude. And that was my mantra. And that was now mine. And that was my thing. But it wasn't until year, actually it was after she had passed. And I was already knee deep in my gratitude practice at that point. So unfortunately I couldn't, you know, other, other than, you know, from a spiritual perspective, but I couldn't sure. go back and ask her, you know, yeah. about it. Um, but I realized that the it that she was referring to, I always thought it meant the struggles, right? And I was close, but I was wrong. The it that she was referring to was the power of gratitude and gratitude builds fortitude and looking back over her life, how, and it wasn't this fake positive, you know, rose colored glasses. Like it was just a genuine place of being happy and grateful for every single day that she woke up and just having that inner peace that no matter what the day brings, she's going to be okay. And when I started into the research, it actually scientifically proven the studies call it mental strength and that's Mm -hmm. what they measure, but mental strength is fortitude. And gratitude actually does build fortitude. And especially during those storms of life, like it is scientifically proven and it's, um, you know, it's, it's not even the, the Oak, right? Like the mighty Oak that just kind of stands in the middle of the storm. Um, I was having a conversation with someone the other day, we were talking about bamboo and how um, it takes somewhere between five to seven years for yeah. bamboo to actually grow. And you, you know, you can water the ground, you plant the seeds, but during those years, there's this intricate root system that grows. And, you know, because of the, uh, the, the geographics and the, the weather of, of, you know, typically where it grows, the bamboo needs to have this strong, intricate root system. So that it can be, you know, very bendy in the yeah. storm. Yeah. So I always kind of thought of the oak tree as fortitude, but I'm starting to shift that perspective a little bit to bamboo. I like that's the perspective. The this are. is nice. Yes. And I, I think either of them are fine. If you're an oak tree person, grab the oak tree analogy. If you're the bamboo person, grab the bamboo. But I think both are really good examples of just you know, you need those strong roots and you need that strength, but you also have to have a little bend as you're going. Yes, you do. You definitely have to be able to ebb and flow with the struggles of life and with the good and the bad, you know, uh, it it kind of reminds me of, you know, I live in in the Midwest, just North of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And uh, although I would love to uh, reside in Florida as close to Disney world as possible, um, There are times when I have an appreciation of spring and summer greater than I would if I didn't have to survive the ice and snow of winter. Mm. So in a way, it has a lot to do with that. And not knowing you for very long, you're definitely bamboo. (laughs) You might be as strong as an oak, but you are definitely bamboo. Because you have shown in what you have done and what you have created, what you have gone through, that you have been able to sway in the wind. 
yet you are steadfast in your roots and that is holding you uh, grounded, if you will. So I, I love the bamboo analogy. I think I'm going to have to use that someday. Take it away. <laughs> and Wonderful. and can I share something else about of course you can. when, so she, so in her later years, she just kept going downhill and downhill and, you know, it, you have that level of preparedness. I think that emotional, like, you know, what's happening, but it doesn't hit till it really happens. Yeah. And, um, when she, when she finally passed, um, I was actually in California and fortunately flew back in time to, um, be, you know, I, normally I'm two hours away and that moment, I just happened to be across the country. So fortunately I was able to, to be back and be with her and with dad when she passed. And the, um, when I got back home, so I spent, you know, a couple of weeks with my dad, making sure he was, you know, fine and everything. Sure. And then, sure. well, not fine, but you know what I mean? Yep. Um, and then I came back home. And so I think I put on a really brave face, right. Just helping my dad through that process and being a little more stoic and just hitting the pause button and then allowing myself to be in that full grief process once I got back home. And this, I was already needy in the gratitude in terms of a personal practice, in terms of the studies and everything like that. And I remember laying in bed and I was like, I don't want to be grateful. And it's not even, I don't have anything to be like, I almost like a two-year-old, right. I don't want to, you know, like an an adult temper tantrum. I don't want to be grateful. And, you know, there's this little battle going on in my head. I'm like, yeah, but that's your thing. And that's what you stand for. And that's what you teach. And, you know, you should be grateful. You've got all these things, but, and then, you know, the other side, but I don't want to be grateful. And I let myself really feel that because, you know, I think there's that piece of grief that's just so raw and then they're so real, but then there's that also that piece that's like, okay, okay. And then it's like, Oh, I'm not ready. Right. As I'm pulling down, I'm not ready. And then I'm pulling up like kind of it's time and I'm pulling down like, Nope, I'm not ready. And there's that kind of battle going on. So I just allowed myself to not be grateful. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to not be grateful. And it was interesting because in that moment of surrender, you want to know what I thought of? Yes, I do. I thought of my yellow mechanical pencil. You know, there's like number seven, like yellow mechanical pencils. I had the, well, I don't have any more, but I had this yellow pencil. That was my favorite pencil. It was a stupid yellow mechanical pencil. There was nothing special about it at all. Um, you know, like the red swing line stapler from office space, kind of the same concept, right? That's what came into my mind, this stupid pencil. And I said to myself, I am grateful for my stupid little yellow pencil. And you know what? It opened the door. Oh my goodness. It was, it was a crack. Like it wasn't even like I mean, yeah. that knob was barely, barely, barely turned, but it opened the door. That is really interesting. It is odd. I have found in the nearly two years after the loss of my wife 
the things that I think about at the oddest times. And it can be of her passing. It can be just a memory that we had. It can be the kids. It can, it can be a mechanical pencil. I mean, it can be the strangest things. And I always find that when those moments happen is when I finally allowed myself to stop and it's to stop what to stop, whatever the heck I was doing, whether it was physically doing something, whether it was a stressful day or a hard day or something I'm thinking about in the future or a project I'm trying to get accomplished. And, and you, you always have that moment, especially if you have a project that is just kind of, it's not fun. It's daunting. It's going to last for the next three or four days. I just wish it was over. You're stressing about it in small, small ways. Even if you're vegging out on the couch at 930 at night, watching TV, you're still, you still find yourself in that moment of thinking about it without really thinking about it. But if I have allowed, and when I've allowed myself to truly stop thinking, and usually it would be on walks or just as I'm, I'm going to go to bed, I'm going to go to sleep. And then I'm trying to settle my mind. And then these, the oddest little thoughts and the oddest little memories pop up. And I find that I'm quite grateful for them because some of them are surprising. Some of them are things that I hadn't thought about in such a long time. And some of them are obscure as your mechanical pencil, which are, you know, it's okay to be grateful for something like that because it actually, I hope it actually allows us to be grateful for the stupidest, silliest, smallest little things so that we can be freer with our gratitude on the things that really truly matter um it's not a mistake that my podcast is called journey to grateful and you most likely have seen on my website or heard on one of my episodes i talk about where it came from because you know when i decided to finally pull the trigger and do a podcast i had a mastermind group a wonderful group of uh five other individuals that helped me make this happen because I could just throw things out at them and say, this is a thought and this is a thought. So I had to come up with a name. And of course, mm-hmm. I, I I actually just ran across that list yesterday and there was probably about 35 different names. And when I chose Journey to Grateful, it was late at night. I was going to bed and on our bed is a pillow still is on our bed that says grateful. And it was a pillow Mm -hmm. that my wife purchased probably within the first year of her original diagnosis in 2017. And she said, she told me that she needed it because she needed to wake up every morning knowing that there had to be something to be grateful for and to be reminded of that. And I thought, okay, That is absolutely perfect. And of course, it was staring at me in the face every day. Mm -hmm. And it took me how many weeks to finally see it? She was probably yelling at me. I could could probably just say, you know, you take that pillow off the bed every single night and you put it back on every single morning. Will you please read it? (laughs) So, oh, yes. Um, This is good. I I love conversations like this. Yeah. Tim, can I share one more thing? Absolutely. Because you 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 were talking about something um, with you know kind of sharing with uh, with about with Colleen, 
and, you know, kind of those, those, those moments. And I, I actually teach this concept with my, um, with my students in group coaching, but it's called, it, for lack of a better word, space. And I like to think of it like a song and the old rock and roll guys, I think it was maybe Keith Richards or okay. Rolling Stones. It's not about the rock. It's about the role, right? Uh-huh. So music is about, isn't necessarily about the notes. It's about the space between the notes. And I look at life like this big cacophony of noise, kind of like the music. And gratitude is that space in between the notes. And that's that sweet spot that is quiet, even if it's just for a second. And it's the space that makes the song. So when everything is kind of loud and noisy and, you know, the, the all the emotions going on and, you know, to, to be in that space in between the music, just that sweet spot in that space in between the, the notes. And that's what gives us the symphony of the beautiful life that we have. And one thing, you know, if you're listening to this, that I recommend, go listen to your favorite song. doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what genre it is. It's, it's appropriate to every single music song out there. Go listen to your favorite song and listen to the notes, listen to the music. So listen to the notes and then listen to the space and the music in the space in between the notes. And that just listen. Beautiful. That and the lessons that you'll beautiful. receive from that are going to be absolutely beautiful. That is really nice. Yeah. Oftentimes we kind of live our lives worried about the pause worried about those spaces yeah. between the notes. What are we going to do? Oh, it's going to be awkward. We're with a friend or with a new friend, whatever the case may be. And it's, it's a nice thought to find appreciation in the space between the notes. It's a wonderful thought to find appreciation in occasionally not saying anything, being with a very good friend, and knowing that you don't have to fill all the dead air. Yeah. I like this. I, li- I just wrote a whole bunch of stuff. It's a, it's a post-it note hanging on my, on my, uh, <laughs> my monitor right now. That is really, really nice. I, I did um, read once and to, to the space idea. And I think I mentioned it in a podcast. I, at the moment don't recall which one but it was relatively recently in the last five podcasts talking about uh the dash between the birth year and the death year on a gravestone Mm -hmm. and that you need to make sure that you do not forget to live in that dash because and to to keep in mind those people that you might read their two years those two years are not what define them that dash is that space between those those years and in a way that's just so sad that it's just a little dash and they've done and accomplished and created and lived so much but it's only represented by a dash and i think this podcast your podcast uh books um discussions that's why those are so important 
because once somebody is gone, although that's done, the the dash is done. Let's let's remember what is in those that dash. Uh, let's let's remember what they have done and let's remember what they have achieved. And I, I think it's quite amazing all the things that you have achieved. I know that you are also an author. You are the number one uh, Amazon.com best-selling author. Tell us about the book that you wrote. Well, that one may, may or may not be appropriate to this audience. I actually wrote a book um, as I was going through some issues in my workplace um, when I had autoimmune disease. So that book kind of chronicles the legal aspect of that journey. Um, but I also wrote a book called Coconut Coconut Heads Cancer Survival Guide, which was my, it, it was my journal entries. Oh. And um throughout my cancer treatment, that one, your, your audience may like a little more, um, that didn't hit the bestseller, but it's a, it's a good one. Um, but when we, when I was bald at first, the way that the hair came out, um, we called it dog with mange. Cause it kind of was mangy <laughs> <laughs> until, until I got a good shave on. So, um, but then I still had these like random hairs that stuck up. So, you know, at one point, you know, my, well, fiance then was, you know, he's like, you look like a coconut. <laughs> so it just kind of stuck. Okay. So... Well, one, one thing that's interesting, I need, <laughs> I need our listeners to understand, uh, we are recording this via zoom. So Holly and I are looking at each other. And if you could have seen the look on my face, when she mentioned the name of the book, I'm sitting here going, where the heck did that name come from? And as she's talking, my face completely changes into a laugh and a smile because I got it. I got it pretty quickly. And it was brilliant. Yeah. I love that. Any, that anyone great. with a loved one going through cancer treatment who has lost their hair has seen yes. the, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. That is fantastic. Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I also want to make sure that we talk about anything else that you would like to talk about. Um, so I'm going to give you the floor and ask you to let us know what else you would like to make certain we cover before we say goodbye. You know, Tim, I think we've covered a lot and this is just such an amazing conversation, but I think if I were to leave one last word, that word is legacy. Yes, we talked about gratitude and we talked about fortitude, but I think that word legacy is so strong in terms of not just the legacy of your loved one who has passed, but your legacy of sharing that legacy. And I think that's just such a beautiful place to be able to you know, to, to share that. And, and, you know, it doesn't have to be a podcast like we have, or, you know, a big message, but even just, you know, sharing with another loved one or a family member or a child, or, you know, it it just to, to keep that legacy alive and to then, you know, really redefine, you know, like you said, as we're going through this process, you know, what is my legacy from, from all of this? So I just really like to leave your, your listeners with that word. I think that's wonderful. I think that's extremely important, not only 
when you're discussing the loss of somebody, but when you're discussing anything that you have gone through, your legacy is everything that has happened to you. And your legacy is as important to share with others, because I think that it can, it has so many different op, uh, opportunities to help other people. It could be something that can speak to somebody right now. It can be something that speaks to somebody later on, and it can also be something that could potentially strengthen somebody. Uh, your story, my story, everybody's story can have a chance to inspire somebody. And there's no doubt Meeting you, you definitely inspire a lot of people. Our conversation today, you've inspired me. I have taken some notes and I am so, so happy that we have been able to get to know each other. And I want to thank you so much for for taking the time to come on the show. I appreciate it. I think that uh, Pink Fortitude and what you do, what you are and what you stand for is absolutely priceless so thank you so much i so appreciate it well thank you tim the pleasure is all mine Thank you again for joining me on the Journey to Grateful podcast. I'm so thankful for you being here each week. Please stop by the community and let your voice be heard. Share your story or ask questions. I'm glad to help if I can. And head over to journeytograteful.com community to access our social channels, become a guest on the podcast, or contribute to the blog with your personal story. While you're there, sign up for my bi-monthly newsletter designed for inspiration and motivation. And also connect with me via email at tim at journeytograteful.com or through my voicemail or chat line 262-298-2428. That's 262-298-CHAT. And lastly, I ask, if you like the show, please share the podcast with a friend. Take a couple of minutes to rate and review the show. It goes a long way to helping this podcast get in front of those who need it. As I close out this episode, I would like to share with you a motivational quote, which I believe speaks to what I hope this community can offer in terms of help for its members. This quote is by Vernon Sanders Law. Experience is a hard teacher because she gives the test first, the lesson afterwards. So let me clarify why this quote works so well for this community. With every episode, I urge everyone to share their story, to pull from this podcast's experiences from others as well as myself, and to help others who are trying to navigate their path in grief. So with our help as a group, we can offer a few lessons before life and its harsh experiences have a chance to be that hard teacher we know it can be. So once again, thank you again, my friends, for joining me today. Let me know your thoughts on today's episodes. I would love to hear from you. And may you always find a way to walk confidently on your journey to grateful. Bye-bye.